The Madison Scouts announced that they will allow all genders to join the Corps starting in 2020. It is news that has all of Drum Corps talking. We're going to get the facts behind the decision-making process on this from the CEO of Forward Performing Arts and the Madison Scouts, this time on the DCI News Network and Field Pass. From the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your field pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Well, passions are running high in the drum corps community this week, and that's to me, that's good. You know, former marching members, fans, stakeholders, we love this activity, and our passion when something controversial happens is proof of that love. But if we can, for 15, 20 minutes or so, let's Let's set aside the passion and let's talk about some practical matters and get some perspective. And helping us to do that is the CEO of Forward Performing Arts, the uh, CEO of the Madison Scouts, Chris Komnick. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Chris, we're speaking a day after the Scouts broke the news that they were becoming inclusive of all genders. So let's start with that phrase. Uh, why inclusive of all genders? Why didn't you just say that you were now going to allow women to join the Madison Scouts? Well, previous to this point, we actually adopted a policy that accepted uh, transgender males into the organization a few years ago. And this is the, I wouldn't say it's the lot, next logical step, but it's certainly the next step to basically say we're an all-inclusive organization that uh, we're not going to discriminate based upon uh, any of those characteristics. Uh, and uh, that was obviously pretty pretty monumental for our organization. Let's talk about the timing of the announcement. This news broke on a Sunday in July. It was the end of a holiday week. It's three weeks after the start of the season. I mean, we're in the thick of it. Why make the announcement now? Why not wait until the end of the season? The announcement wasn't purposeful for this date, uh, with the exception that it was a scheduled board meeting for some time. Um, this, uh, this question had been bantered about for a couple years, and if not decades, actually. Um, and as we, as the board, progressed with analyzing this, uh, we were finally coming to a, to a near conclusion. Uh, and you know, what, the decision to put this up for a vote uh, just happened to fall in this time frame. And you can make the debate that there's probably not any best time in our cycle anymore. Mm. Um, I mean, I would argue that if you announced it before the start of the season, then you might have the chance of distancing people who are marching this year. Or if you announced right after the season, um, one of our heaviest recruiting times certainly is during the season. Uh, so you'd certainly want to have that uh, availability uh, opened up. Um, regardless of timing, you're, you're going to find people either like it or dislike when you make the announcement. So um, we just decided that this, this vote was going to happen uh, and we're going to push it out there and it's going to be what it is. So you say that this has been, I think your word was uh, bandied about for some time now, maybe even decades. Were those just idle discussions decades ago, or has this been seriously broached before? I can't talk to decades ago because uh, I wasn't involved. I do know those that were involved at that time. Um, so there's, there were certainly some very serious discussions uh, that occurred as far back as the 70s that we're aware 
Um, I know even in the 90s and early 2000s, that discussion occurred. Uh, during my tenure, uh, it had been uh, discussed uh, many times throughout, I'd say, the last 12 years uh, and take, took a pretty serious bent, I would say, two years ago, uh, at which time we started kind of evaluating a number of different factors, just probably, you know, the number of variables involved in this are pretty significant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that process uh, took a long time and it was tough because, you know, it meant going out and asking people something they maybe didn't want to be asked about. Uh, it includes surveys. Um, and we had been talking with the, the current membership of the Corps for several years, uh, part of our postseason interview process with them, um, dealt with this topic specifically. Uh, so they had been being surveyed on this uh, for, for at least three or four years now. Um, however, you know, I, I would say regardless of the thoroughness of looking at all these variables, it really came down to a single point. Uh, and for our organization, that single point is what are the values uh, of the organization? Uh, what are we trying to get across in our mission and what we are delivering to the, to the membership, the people that we serve? Um, and, and was this a characteristic that we felt represented our organization? Uh, and that really is the decision point on our side. Uh, we had as an administration, as a board, uh, really felt like this just was not something we wanted to have represent our organization anymore in terms of having um, some sort of exclusivity based off of gender. It just didn't really make a lot of sense anymore. Well, purely as a nonprofit, you've now opened up the the clientele that you serve. You've doubled it, in fact, in terms of population. But I'm wondering how much of this was about survival as well. Do you believe, Chris, that the scouts might have been in danger of folding if you didn't make this move? Uh, absolutely not. Well, wasn't even really much of a point of discussion other than the fact that we talked about, okay, well, you know, if we're trying to uh, capture the, the best of the best uh, to have them participate in our programs and our organization, uh, it certainly doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, ex exclude a, <laughs> you know, what is more than 50% of the population. Um, and it is interesting. I mean, this activity has a long history of associating uh, health of the organization with uh, placement, competitive placement, uh, that correlation, I think probably now more than ever doesn't really exist anymore. Um, some of the best runs organizations in Drum Corps International may not have always been the highest placing ones. And in fact, actually, some of the best ones are not. Um, and, you know, we've certainly seen circumstances where very high placing organizations were not very well run on the back end. So, um, it's nothing to do with the healthy organization. Uh, the Madison Scouts and for performing arts are, uh, I mean, we're a challenge as any nonprofit to continue to find money sources and things along those lines, but we're not in any sort of dire situation whatsoever. Um, that seems to be a common narrative, uh, but it's just not particularly accurate. Well, that's why I put it out there, and thank you for the explanation. Okay, let's talk about the reaction. It certainly has been thick, and, and I wanted to focus on the current members first. How did you tell them? When did you tell them? And what was the mood like in the room? Sure. Uh, so 
Early last week, there was a special board meeting to discuss the topic one more time before bringing it to vote. Um, and knowing that this was going to be coming up, up for vote and knowing the way our schedule was um, with uh, both myself and Dan Peterson um, already had planned uh, departures from tour um, after Whitewater on Saturday night, uh, both to attend the board meeting on Sunday morning in Madison. Um, we weren't going to be with the Corps, so we said our best approach for this is to talk with them on Saturday uh, beforehand and let them know that this vote was going to occur and it could go one way or the other. Uh, but if it uh, goes this way, then uh, this is something that you need to expect and prepare yourself for. Uh, and so we had that member meeting and it went uh, very favorably. Um, and I kind of laughed because at that point, because you know, there's, there's some people that were, you know, very, all right, this is awesome. And then there were some that were just polishing their horns and were kind of like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> I mean, it is interesting when you get 150 kids together, they can have very different uh, uh, reactions to things. Uh, uh, and uh, so it did kind of run the gamut there. Um, but no, it was uh, responded very favorably. They understood. They had really good questions for us. Um, we knew that there would be a pretty favorable response because we had been surveying them for the last several years. Uh, the general opinion of the membership was that this was something that didn't make a lot of sense to them anymore. Um, and in fact, actually, you know, we have a lot of different leadership sessions throughout the course of the year. And I got to tell you, the last couple of years, some of the hardest leadership sessions uh, we had were ones where we were questioned on this very policy and we didn't have good answers for them. Uh, so, you know, out of the membership, there was just certainly identification that this seemed to be incongruous to a lot of the values that we we're trying to teach within the Madison Scouts. Mm. Um, and they'd be the first to bring it up and say, hey, I don't get this. You know, why do we do this? If we're teaching these things, then why do we do something else in action? Um, so that had always been really tough and something that we needed to get uh, get through. And I think uh, upon hearing this and the, the changes, I you know the the, the reaction was uh, in a very positive way. Now, of course, they wanted to know, you know, you know, when can we tell people or, or what have you? And we said, well, we're going to give you notification as soon as we know on Sunday morning. Um, you know, out of respect to let you guys know. Uh, we understand, again, it's a show day. You know, that's really where your head needs to be around preparing for that show. Um, but when they woke up that morning, uh, it wasn't too long after that we had uh, the information to provide to them. And it was reported back to us that there was just an overall uh, cheer of elation when it was announced uh, to the membership. So um, that was a very positive thing. So we were very happy about that. Do you have any holes in the show right now? And I, I know you stated this takes effect in 2020, but if a female with the right skill set came forward right now to fill a hole, would you accept her? Um, <laughs> we've been asked that. Uh, and uh, the only hole we have at the moment, we had a, a young man on tuba who had gotten injured. Um, I don't think that makes just a lot of sense, uh, just because I think from an overall preparation uh, in terms of accommodation and things along those lines, um, it just it disrupts kind of operations as we already have in place. Uh, so uh, the quick answer is no. Uh, that wasn't our intention whatsoever. I think we really just want to focus on recruiting uh, for, for, for next year. And we'll have everything that we feel we need in place to, to make this adoption for next season. Well, I was going to ask you about it later, but as long as we're there, what has the interest from young women been in your recruiting for next year? 
Well, it's interesting. So we're just kicking that off, and I got to tell you, um, you know, two interesting observations from today have been number one, the overwhelming number of uh, support uh, directly from financial contributions, uh, which was kind of an un unexpected surprise for me. Um, uh, we have received a great number of donations. It'd be interesting to count it all up here when all is said and done, and all of them, you know, kind of attached with the comment of, you know, thank you, uh, much appreciated what you're doing and things along those lines. Um, and there's been a, a great outpouring of, uh, of young women who have reached out and then uh, both expressed support and expressed that they have an interest in auditioning. Um, in the next 24 hours, we're going to have our entire audition process turned on for people to begin uh, purchasing uh, the audition packet and get themselves registered. Uh, I sense that we're going to see a pretty big surge from that. Well, all right, let's go to the alumni reaction. The, the Scouts, of course, have one of the most organized and active alumni bases in our activity, and they have certainly been expressing their opinions about this decision. I know you've been hearing from them directly. Uh, many are upset. They're upset at the loss of a tradition. And, you know, Chris, I've heard this phrase over and over, the loss of a brotherhood. What are you saying to these former members about this decision? It's, it is tough. I understand. And, you know, first, if you don't know, I am an alumnus of the Madison Scouts myself, and as is Dan Peterson, as is a lot of people that were involved in the discussion around this, this point. Um, it is a tradition that is lost, but it's a tradition that, you know, as this activity has changed, uh, the, what we try to do or serve in terms of our mission has changed pretty dramatically, even from, I even think back when I, my tenure started in the Madison Scouts, and so 12 years ago, what we're trying to achieve to what we're achieving today is also very different. So to think back to when I marched in the early 80s, um, it is pretty dramatically different. I mean, if we look at the history of this, uh, the Boy Scouts of America uh, was the, uh, the, the foundation to why this group existed. Um, and, you know, so by regulation, uh, we took on an all-male characteristic at that point. Uh, but the organization was also, from day one, uh, racially integrated. Uh, for 1938, that's kind of unheard of in the Midwest. Um, and, you know, they took a pretty strong stance about uh, inclusion of different socioeconomic status uh, within the organization. Um, and that has grown into a number of different uh, people being involved and being included in the organization with the exception of females. Um, and so there's been great pride that this organization has had around that. And I often talk to people about that very point. I say, uh, you know, what would CHBB do in this situation, who is the, the founder of the core? Because, um, you know, the people that I've talked to that, that knew him uh, knew what inclusion meant to him uh, and why he was so proactive about making sure that kids had an opportunity to participate in this drum and bugle core. And I think when, when you kind of frame it in those types of terms and you really do look at our historic aspect of it, uh, you begin to, or I begin, and a lot of other people begin to kind of take a different perspective uh, on this. The brotherhood isn't doesn't go away. Uh, someone's past experience is not going to change now because of what we do moving forward. Um, we haven't turned this to an all-female organization, so I mean there exists a, a great opportunity for people to have that brotherhood experience. 
um, or to have it uh, uh, that same type of experience of achieving a, a singular goal with a, a female by your side. So uh, either way, I think that that, that level of experience uh, is still available to, to members of the Corps. Okay, well, let me get specific because I, I saw a Facebook video from a young alumnus. Uh, I think he aged out in 2017. And it was about a half hour after he learned the news, and he was obviously upset, but he was, he was giving it a lot of thought. And he, he kept touching the nail hanging around his neck, the nail that, of course, binds him in camaraderie for a lifetime to another former marching member, somebody he marched with. Um, and he was wondering, you know, what's going to become of that tradition? It has to be painful for you to hear that kind of expression of grief. Well, I don't think that that tradition goes anywhere, quite honestly. Uh, the philosophy of never alone in life, uh, the philosophy of you know, never walk alone um, is not exclusive to a certain gender, uh, in my opinion. Um, those sorts of, uh, that sort of uh, camaraderie and lifelong experience can be shared uh, amongst men and women. Um, and I don't think that that goes away whatsoever. Um, it's going to be different, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there are certain aspects uh, uh, that will change about the organization because of that and our, our history moving forward. Um, but when it comes down to it, uh, this is something that's based in our principles. And I think because of that, it's the right decision. Uh, and now more than ever is the right time to make that decision. I think you've answered a lot of this, but um, let me just explore some of the questions that one older alumnus gave me. And, and I'll preface this by saying he's going to support his former core in this new decision, but it's still painful for him. He, he says this move will not save the scouts. He says, quote, the core going co-ed is not going to fix what he sees as issues with programming. And what he says he needs from you is an explanation of how this change is going to positively impact the core and FPA going forward. You want to tackle that? Sure. Well, he's first right about the programming question. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this decision is not a programming decision uh, whatsoever. Um, that's a different category of what we have to evaluate um, you know, one of the challenges that we have faced is uh, managing um, where this activity is going from a design and cost perspective uh, versus what we are able to achieve as an organization. Um, you can play the game, uh, and the game is a very expensive game. Uh, and, you know, and I liken, you know, I'm a big baseball fan, and so I love the book Moneyball. I mean, we're a Moneyball drum corps, quite honestly. Uh, we do not have the resources um, at this point in time, uh, nor do we have a, a good visibility into where those resources may or may not come uh, to play at the highest level. Uh, to play at the highest level means to be able to consistently hire uh, and keep well-paid staff in place uh, to deliver a, a design uh, and then attract the students to, to, to perform that design um, at a super high level. And some players can play in that space. Uh, that has never really been the case for the Madison Scouts across its entire history. 
Um, so we'll have years where we're fantastic and we kind of line a bunch of stuff up correctly. Uh, and there's years that we're not quite well aligned from a design perspective. Um, now I think one of the things that's changed over the course of time is um, probably no more than, I mean, every single year I would say that parity, uh, and parity what I mean is, or the, or the level of quality that exists across Drumquare from top to bottom in the world class um, is just continuing to improve at, at impressive rates. Um, and because of that, I think you're starting to see a lot more fluidity that exists. You know, a mandarins can kind of, what people say, come out of nowhere. Um, but if you know the back, background scenes, you know, they've really prepared for many years to put themselves in a position to be competitive these last couple of years. Um, you know, Boston Crusaders recognized a few years ago what they needed to do economically uh, to really change the equation to be competitive at the very top level. Um, I have spoken to our board many times about, you know, what it is that this activity is and what it is that we can afford. And we have to make tough choices all the time. It's like, you know, we can uh, we can put something out there and, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to go bankrupt in the process of doing that. Um, we have to make choices that are within our means. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have a gaming situation. We don't have bingo or, or any sort of other gaming revenues that exist. So we've had to build up a lot of our revenues uh, through various businesses that we run. Uh, there's obviously a tuition model, but I think that tuition model has a cap that's going to you know, that we're vastly, you know, rapidly approaching. And, and this is a discussion, not just the Madison Scouts. I mean, I had this discussion with a lot of other groups that are, you know, what I call in my village of, uh, of what our, our programming spend is. And, uh, you know, we're very challenged by, you know, when I, I go out there and I see some of the top three or four cores, I go, wow, that's amazing what they're doing. But I also know what the price tag is behind that. Um, so that's that's the answer to that programming challenge. And what was the second part of this question? Well, it was just, I mean, and I think you explained it a little bit. You know, how is this going to benefit and and really impact FPA going forward? And we should explain. You you touched on it there that while the scouts have remained a males only group for all these years, uh, women have been able to participate in forward performing arts other groups. Tell us about some of your other products. Yeah, sure. I mean, we had a we had a WGI wins group we did for one year. Um, we didn't do it this past year because they were drawing on a high school that made a big trip, um, I think, down to Florida or something along those lines. So, uh, and, but it, you know, wins is an area that we are very interested in. We have a, a, a drum line called the Black Star Drum Line uh, that uh, really serves a, a younger, uh, more diverse group in the city of Madison. All of these have been. Uh, uh, groups that uh, are, are co-educational, um, have no restrictions in that regard. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, here's an interesting observation um, that we have seen. So when we go and we talk to people about funding opportunities, and they may be grants, and they may be uh, corporate matching or things along those lines, um, those organizations are far more sophisticated about who they want to give money to and why, okay? And so they look to your mission. Uh, they look to the number of kids that you're able to serve. Um, and now more than ever, they look to what are your practices of inclusion. Um, so there isn't a day that we don't see a corporate matching opportunity that exists and is presented to us. 
that has a requirement that you affirm uh, what your non-discrimination policy is. And that is not in favor for them. They're not going to grant you money because they really want uh, the principles of their organization, whether it be a funding organization or a corporation, to uh, align with the people that they give money to, um, quite honestly. Um, so we've seen a lot of opportunities like that that have been really tough for us to reach out to and, 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 and talk with. And I use an example um, in the city of Madison right now, probably the largest and most rapidly growing employer um, is a tech company called Epic Systems in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and they have a CEO who really uh, funds the arts quite a bit, and they built quite a campus that could rival Microsoft's campus um, just south of the city. Uh, and their CEO is a female, okay? And many times I've heard, we need to go in and talk with Epic. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how we start the conversation with Epic uh, when we don't have a good story to tell about inclusion, uh, because that's going to be part of the conversation. It's going to be part of the conversation really quickly. Um, so that's one side of the equation. And then the other side of the equation is, you know, from a member experience standpoint, um, I've heard, you know, told many times that, uh, you know, one of the things that, Benefits uh, is a single-sex environment for development of young men. And, you know, we looked at that. Uh, and the reality is, you know, maybe at a time when we were working with 12 and 13-year-olds, that was the case. Uh, but the average age of our drum corps, you know, north of 19, it's like 19.3 or something over the last 10 years, um, the educational benefits of a single-sex environment don't really exist uh, for that age group, quite honestly. Um, and we feel like one of the main benefits we could do is to give them an opportunity to work towards a common goal um, with female membership uh, involved. I mean, that's a, that's a life skill they can take into, into their future. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's something else that we looked at very, very hard. And so, you know, this is something that um, they say they want, by the way, because <laughs> they told us. Uh, this is an environment that we would prefer, and when we look at it, we go, yeah, that makes sense because we can really deliver on uh, our mission, and then it also aligns with our values. So that actually became you know, a pretty key part of our decision-making process. Before I close this out, are there any messages that you want to get out that I haven't asked you about? <laughs> well, I mean, I could appreciate our alumni are uh, challenged with this. So we, knew we, we knew we would be. Um, and, you know, it, it, and interestingly enough, uh, there's a lot of alumni that are tremendously supportive. I mean, the amount of texts, phone calls, and emails that I've got on the positive side of the equation have been uh, tremendous. And I thank all of them for reaching out and, and uh, wishing us the best. Uh, and interestingly enough, a lot of those are music educators, right? And people that are in this activity in a in a professional way, and they've reached out and said, you know, hey, this is what you got to do um, for the, uh, the the growth of this organization moving forward and creating these opportunities um, you know, for your current membership and your future membership. So uh, I, I appreciate all of that. But on the, you know, those who are having a challenge with this, um, you know, I fully understand it. Uh, I, in my heart of hearts, believe uh, this is the direction that uh, that we need to go. Uh, to create the best experience that we can for our membership. 
Um, and you know, there, that means some traditions will have to change or evolve or move into something differently. Uh, but the Madison scouts will be the Madison scouts. Uh, and I think we pride ourselves in terms of our brand, uh, as being something that connects with an audience. And we expressed that, uh, very clearly when we talked to our membership, we said, you know, our brand of the Madison scouts is that we can connect and put a show out on the field and get people excited. Um, and in many ways, you know, when we look at the programming side of the equation, you know, we've taken some steps towards that this year. Uh, the number night might not be where we want it to be right now, um, but uh, during our show right now, there's at least three very clear points where we get most of the stand, uh, fans standing, um, and that's exciting. And I know the current membership looks at that and goes, wow, okay, and that's like, okay, so now that's part of our Madison Scout experience, and that's part of our Madison Scout's brand. You know, let's just keep building on that and keep building on that. And we're going to, you know, really focus on, uh, on making sure that that's, that's how we define who we are. Um, and we're taking some steps towards that. Uh, you know, for me, the next level of tradition is uh, we invite all of those who want to participate in the Madison Scouts and know what that feels like. Uh, to audition for us for next year, whether they be a, a young man or a young woman. And uh, I think this will be a, a fantastic opportunity for them. This is your Field Pass, the official podcast of Marching Music's Major League. All right, Chris, if you'll permit us for the Field Pass podcast, a little change of tone here. We have, with everybody we've interviewed this year, we've been playing something we call the Box 5 Deep Dive. These are five quick questions so that fans can get to know Chris Komnick a little bit better. Are you game to play? Excellent. I'd love to. All right. Box 5 question number one. What is, Chris Komnick, your favorite drum corps show of all time? 1999 Madison Scouts. Jesus Christ Superstar. Good pick. God, what a great show. Box five, question number two. This is my favorite question. What's the best meal you've ever eaten? Well, I got to say, <laughs> I, I love I love wonderful food. I'm a bit of a foodie as well, uh, similar to yourself. Um, uh, there was a place in Vancouver I used to go to, and oh, the name's escaping. It's called like Bin 925. Yeah. Uh, and just had amazing, amazing food there. Um a different dish every time I had gone in there. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do like uh, have a very wide palate, and I could go for just about anything. Well, and Madison's become quite the food town, too. It absolutely has. There's some amazing restaurants that are in there. But still, I love to go to, like, Smokey's as well, right? It's this classic supper club and maybe one of the best steakhouses ever. So There you go. All right, box five question number three. What is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to marching music? Uh, my biggest pet peeve when coming to marching music, um, well, I could say something like we don't march anymore. So. <laughs> Calling it marching music? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it is interesting. I mean, we were talking about this as, you know, I sat there in Whitewater uh, up in the press box the entire time and just amazing shows out there. Uh, but there's not a lot of marching left in these shows. It's all about staging. Not that I really have any real problem with that. I just uh, I, I find that to be interesting. Um, I actually probably a bigger pet peeve is um, I you know I'm challenged when people don't want to see the activity evolve uh, because I think there's amazing things that are going on out there and, and you know I I fell in love with this activity in the 70s um, as a fan then became a participant then went back to being a fan and I could tell you I could pick out 
drum corps shows out of all of those eras that I just absolutely love. So, you know, let the activity be what it is. It just blows my mind what we're doing out on the field nowadays. Box five question number four. If you were not, Chris, the CEO of Forward Performing Arts, what would your fantasy job be? Uh, I am quite the avid motorcyclist. And if I could run some sort of business where I ride all day long, I would do that. I actually uh, jumped off tour this weekend and uh, was going to sit and work in the office and get a bunch of stuff done until I meet the Corps up in Belton, Texas. But I'm thinking DeKalb. I love DeKalb because of the uh, old school history behind it. And I'm like, "Eh, maybe I'll jump on my bike and uh, drive the six hours up there, go see the show, and then drive the six hours back. And uh, that'll probably be something I do Saturday. Tell me about your bike. Uh, sure. I've actually had lots of bikes throughout uh, uh, many years, including I've done the whole vintage scene for a while and some cruiser bikes. Right now I'm riding a Kawasaki Concourse uh, 1400. Um, it is a great sport touring bike uh, and it's got speed and uh, I love speed and I like to jump on that thing and just zip down the road. Box five question number five. <laughs> oh, this will be interesting. We haven't asked a core director this yet. You're going to start right. a brand new core tomorrow, Chris, and you get to name it whatever you want. What do you name it? Well, some people are asking me to rename this core as it is. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, yeah. Oh, what would I name them? Um, that's a good, good question. It's almost not a fair question to ask a director of a current core, is it? No. <laughs> I haven't even thought from a branding perspective. Um there's some really great names out there, like the recent ones. Like, I love the Battalion. I think that's a great name. Yeah. Um, boy, I don't have an answer for this one. All right. Well, it was a good discussion anyway. Thanks for playing yeah. along, Chris. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks a lot. We'll see you guys later.